I was encouraged uh, when I finished last Sunday because, you know, I usually like march down here and go drop my mic off, but my son came over and actually said, I figured out the worm thing. The worm thing, because we, we talked about it that Jesus was quoting an Old Testament passage. He goes, yeah, he was quoting Isaiah 66, which obviously... You guys, if you're reading in your Bible, you can look. There's like footnotes, and it says this is where Jesus is quoting from Isaiah 66. And I'm like, yeah, I knew it was from Isaiah. He goes, but there's also another verse attached to it, and it's talking about uh, from Zechariah, where the the worm eats the rotting flesh. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Like we become worm food type thing. Uh, but it says the worm never dies. I, I, whatever that is, you know, I don't know. But just the fact that my son was digging in the scripture was pretty exciting to me, you know. Uh, and and that's my prayer for you is that you just don't take what I say up here, and that you literally go and look and see if I'm telling you the truth. Don't believe a word I'm saying. Go read for yourself, go study for yourself, go dig deeper for yourself because it really is an incredible adventure. And in saying that, we left off we left off at a point where Jesus was instructing his disciples and he was giving them a, a personal private lesson, which he often did. But there was one section that I didn't really cover, and that was in Matthew 18, verse 10. It says, Remember he he brought this child, he brought this child up right next to the disciples and he said, you have to become like this child. You, 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 really, you, you really have no status. You have to become humble like this kid, like this child right here. And he's speaking about the humbleness and really the honesty of this child. <laughs> And he says, see that you don't look down on one of these little ones, because I tell you that in heaven, their angels continually view the face of my Father in heaven. Wait, did you hear that? So can we grab that skirt and drop that down right there? Thank you. Uh, it says, because I tell you that in heaven, their angels continually view the face of my Father in heaven. You know what that just says? believe that children have guardian angels. It says their angel, right? Their angel is continually do the face of my Father in heaven. So, uh, that's interesting. You can sit there and say that children have uh, guardian angels. Thank you very much. Uh, and then you go to the question, well, do we as adults have angels? Genie from the front row says, absolutely. I believe that as believers in Jesus Christ, there's angels watching over us. Which then leads to the question, you know, which all the moms want to know, everything else. Well, so if, at what age is it then the, the children lose their guardian angel if they don't believe in Jesus? I don't know. I don't know. The scripture doesn't say that. But obviously there comes a point where a child is old enough to understand that they are a sinful person and that Jesus can be their Savior. 
for I, I would not put an age on it because I think for every child they think differently and process differently. There's not an age of accountability in the scripture. If you've been taught that, I don't know where they got it. But I do believe that Jesus absolutely loves the children. God loves the children. They have guardian angels. He says in verse 11, For the Son of Man has come to save the lost. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, won't he leave the ninety-nine on the hillside and go search for the stray? And if he finds it, I assure you, he rejoices over that sheep more than over the ninety-nine that did not go astray. In the same way, it is not the will of your Father in heaven that one of these little ones perish. I'll tell you this. Jesus loves the little children. He loves them. God is going to take care of the children. He loves and protects his children. Remember just when he, the, the kids were like coming to him and he'd had this long day, he'd lost his friend and everything else and the kids are coming to Jesus and the disciples are like, no, 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 let us, let us send them away. And Jesus is like, no, 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 let them come hang out with me. I want to hang out with the kids because I love the kids. And then, I'm assuming at this point, he takes that child away and moves him on. And he goes to a completely different subject. Because we follow that verse right there with one of the most difficult passages of Scripture for the church today. has to do with church discipline. I think that church discipline, listen to me, I think that church discipline is a biblical thing. I think church discipline is something that comes with discernment and discretion from the Holy Spirit to the leaders of the church. So I take you to this passage that Jesus says to his disciples. If your brother sins against you, go and rebuke him in private. That rebuke is a pretty strong word. Most of us probably never use the word rebuke in our English language. Uh, but if you do, it's pretty strong. And I think really... What he's saying, it's kind of like what Keith was is defining repentance. When he defined repentance, you almost get it tied in with confession and everything else, and you make it something more than it is, when it really is just a change of mind. Change your mind. But rebuke is really just to call out someone and say, hey, is that really good for you? When you say you rebuke somebody, the key word in that whole sentence right there, what do you think that might be? <laughs> Private. Private. If I see a brother, or honestly a sister, uh, that is sinning, that's dealing with an issue, uh, I'm going to listen to the spirit inside of me whether I should talk to them. Whether I should have a discussion with them. And honestly... The spirit, the spirit does the same thing in you. It's not just because I'm the pastor or I'm the leader. The Spirit does the same. I know that you guys do that. The Spirit will lead you to a person and say, Hey, 
One, let me remind you of who you are. It's the first thing you do. Let me remind you of who you are. You are a holy, righteous, redeemed child of God that is totally forgiven. Let me remind you of who you are. That God has taken your old sinful heart out and He's replaced it with a new heart. And so now when you make bad choices, when you make bad decisions, and I do them too, they don't line up with who I am as a holy, redeemed child of God. It is unnatural. Did you hear that? It's unnatural for me to sin. It's unnatural for you to do what you're doing. It doesn't line up with who you are. Watch this. When I sit across from you and I rebuke you, I see you for who you are, not for what you're doing. I still see you as holy, redeemed, and forgiven. I still love you. I deeply care about you. I want to help you with your decisions, although I can't make those decisions for you. And so when I rebuke or you rebuke, I do it in the name of Jesus and all out of love because of who you are and what He's made you. Now, if you continue to go down that path, if you continue to make bad choices, he says, if he listens to you, you have won your brother. But, if he won't listen, take one or two or more with you so that by the testimony of two or three witnesses, every fact may be established. In other words, this. Two things are probably going to happen. You're probably going to uh, deny that you're making bad choices, or you're just going to push my counsel away or your counsel away and continue to do what you're doing. If you do that, let me clarify this. If you choose to continue to make bad decisions, even based upon the counsel that was given to you, we call, and you're a believer, you believe in Jesus. We call that a season of walking in your flesh. When you walk in, you, in your flesh, you are selfishly living your life in your own power and your own strength. Making your own decisions. Versus, if you choose to walk by the Spirit... The Spirit actually living your life for you. That's a great thing, by the way. Allowing the Spirit to live your life for you. Allowing Him to make your decisions. Allowing Him to reign in your life. Allowing Him to be the Lord, the boss of your life. We call that walking by the Spirit. And I guarantee you, I guarantee you, the Spirit will not lead you to sin. So you've got the Spirit 
walking by the Spirit, and you've got walking by the flesh. If they choose to make, continue to make bad decisions, they're really walking by their flesh. Could be a short season, could be a long season. Could even lead to death. says, take two people with you, two or three. Now, this is scriptural because Jesus is going back to Deuteronomy 19.15. It says, one witness cannot establish any wrongdoing or sin against a person, whatever that person has done. A fact must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. In Numbers 35.30, it says, if anyone kills a person, the murderer is to be put to death based on the word of witnesses. But no one is to be put to death based on the testimony of one witness. That's pretty strong. In John 8.17, even in your law it is written that the witness of two men is valid. 2 Corinthians 13.1 says, every fact must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. 1 Timothy 5.19 says, don't accept an accusation against an elder unless it is supported by two or three witnesses. Even elders make bad choices, elders being the leaders of the church, and sometimes they even have to be reviewed. And in Hebrews 10.28, if anyone disregards Moses' law, he dies without mercy based on the testimony of two or three witnesses. It's evident throughout the scripture that the next thing that you do is bring a brother or sister with you and say, hey, look, it's not just me that's noticing what's going on, but we as a group are noticing what's going on. And again, this is done in private. Hey, look, this has happened in this group. I'm just telling you right now. Church discipline really happens inside of this community. And that literal verse right there happens here. That two or three go and will approach somebody who's walking by their flesh. Again, it's all out of love. Again, the group sees them as holy, righteous, and redeemed. Again, they see that they're making bad choices and want to help then he says this in verse 17, if he pays no attention to them, tell the church. Now this is where we get in trouble. Because I've literally, and, and you, and you have friends or maybe experienced it yourself where people have literally been called down to the front of the church based upon their sin and it's been made public to the whole church. <laughs> I don't see that here. I don't see that here. <clears throat> if some if someone is going to make bad decisions, and I've talked to them, and a group has talked to them, and they continue to do that, here's what happens. Think about this in the. It's so hard now to do this third step in the church because uh, in extreme cases, you're going to get to this point. 
I can honestly say that we've not gotten to that point here. Close. <laughs> Close, but uh, we haven't. But it's so hard to like guide through this church discipline because of social networking, because of crazy lawsuits that are happening against the churches, against ministries, and even the, the far-sighted opinions that are occurring in this world. That no matter what, look, I never really wanted to like put our messages out on podcasts. The reason that we started doing that is because our our child care workers back there, we wanted to keep them in the loop of what we were teaching. But I never wanted to put it out there because uh, we're, we're up for ridicule about what we teach here. Social networking changes everything. And anybody that has a far-sighted opinion can come and Give us a hard time. I honestly believe if the evil one wanted to like, you know, ruin this ministry, he could do it publicly. And so that's why, one, you need to be praying for us. You need to be praying for the word that comes from here. It says, Jesus says, but if he doesn't pay attention even to the church, let him be like an unbeliever and tax collector to you. In those days, the tax collect in those days, the tax collector was associated with the unbeliever because he was more like a thief in those days. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> so he's associated with the unbeliever and he says, basically, if that's the case, uh, cut him off. Look, if you're going to make this a public thing, we're going to, you know, somehow we make it public, like, like literally, uh, I've said this before in here, I'm going to protect, I'm going to protect two areas of leather. As a shepherd, as a shepherd with the sheep, I'm going to protect this area right here where the word comes off the stage. I really am. I'm not going to bring in multiple pastors and everything else that teach a different interpretation of what we teach here. I'm going to protect this area of what's said, what's sung, what's presented from this stage because I don't want it to be, to be confusing to you out there. And the other area we'll protect is the children's area. Protect that children's area. Other than that, you guys are on your own. <laughs> pretty much. Pretty much do your own thing. You pretty much church discipline yourselves. We may help you with that. Uh, but that's the deal. So now this thing's been made public. If something becomes so extreme that you make it public, I take you to First uh, Corinthians chapter five. Uh, just this this story right here. But, hang on, let me back up real quick before I get to that story. I'll take you to Romans chapter sixteen, verse seventeen. It says, "Now I urge you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause dissensions and obstacles contrary to the doctrine you have learned." Avoid them. For such people do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. They deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting with smooth talk and flattering words. That's one of the reasons I'll protect right here. And then Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 3.6, he says, Now we command you, brothers, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, to keep away from every brother who walks irresponsibly and not according to the tradition received from us. This is scriptural. Like, avoid the people that are going to teach 
a different message than Jesus Christ. Just remember last week I said all those people that teach Jesus, Jesus said, hey, look, if they're healing in my name, they're good. If they're healing in my name, they're good. If they're teaching something different, then he's like saying, avoid. And then uh, I take you to the, the one discipline case that Paul talks about. Corinth was like a messed up city when it came to the believers. The believers struggled a lot. They had issues all the time. They couldn't even eat right. Uh, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, it says, It's widely reported that there is sexual immorality among you and the kind of sexual immorality that is not even tolerated among the Gentiles. Oh! The Gentiles didn't even like accept this. So you Jews definitely should not be accepting what this guy is doing. A man is living with his father's wife. Let that turn right here for a second. A man is living with his father's wife. And you are inflated with pride instead of filled with grief so that he who has committed this act might be removed from your congregation. Like, if it's going to be so bad, if it's going to like cause problems in this community right here, it needs to be removed. For though I am absent in the body, but present in spirit, I have already decided about the one who has done this thing as though I were present. Paul's like writing a letter to Corinth, and he's like saying, I'm, I, I'm sorry I can't be there to help you with this, but if I was there, let's act as if I was. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, with my spirit and with the power of the Lord Jesus, turn that one over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. That sounds pretty darn harsh. Turn that one over to Satan. Paul's just saying this dude is like sleeping with his father's wife, his mother-in-law. Is that what it is? Step stepmother. For him that's sleeping with her and won't won't stop, you need to like turn him over to Satan. That sounds wicked. But here, here's, here's the deal. You've done everything you can, you possibly can. You've told him, you've reminded him of who he is in Christ. He said, this is not acceptable. And you're really confusing the heck out of everybody here. And so for this, we're going to ask you not to come back. You just go do your thing. Go do your thing as you're led to do whatever that is by the flesh. And when you're done, when you're done, we'll deal with you. Watch this, though. He says, I'm going to turn you over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Remember what I said. You either walk by the Spirit or you walk by your flesh. If we turn you over to Satan, you're going to go down that path and it's either going to cause you to be miserable or it's even going to lead you to death. But once you hit the bottom, once you hit the bottom, may the Spirit save you for the day of the Lord. May you truly understand who you are in Christ and you repent. You change your mind. That's the whole... Look, they wouldn't even pray for this man. 
We're turning you over. Turning you over to Satan. Sounds wicked, but what do you do? I've literally been in that situation. Okay? You're on your own. How about it? You make your own choices. I'll be here when you're done. So watch this. Here's the cool part. Just relax. Relax. Paul writes another letter to the church of Corinth. It's called 2 Corinthians. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 5, he deals with this same person. He says, If anyone has caused pain, he has caused pain not so much to me, but to some degree, not to exaggerate, to all of you. This dude has caused pain to all of you because of his decisions and choices. The punishment inflicted by the majority is sufficient for that person. In other words, you cut this man off and he suffered to the point of repentance. He suffered to the point of repentance and he's like changed his mind and now he's like wanting to make good decisions and walk by the Spirit. As a result, you should instead forgive and comfort him. What? That you know, that wicked dude that we kicked out? Yeah, you kicked him out for a reason so that he may come to the end of himself and turn to the Lord and that's what he's done. Now forgive him. And let's act like he's never done anything wrong in his life. That, my friends, is what church looks like. Amen. Really? Turn him over to Satan. Yeah? Comes to the end of himself. Receive him back in, forgive him, and treat him like they've never done anything wrong. Why is that? How can you how can you possibly do that? Why? Because I see them for who they are. I see them for their identity in Christ. I see that they're holy, righteous, and I don't see them for their behavior and for the crazy things that they're doing or have done. It makes all the difference in the world. It says, otherwise, this one may be overwhelmed by excessive grief. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. Go get him and love him. Quit shunning him at this point. He's changed his mind. He's repented. Then I take you back uh, to Jesus in Matthew. He says, I assure you, whatever you bind, which means to forbid, whatever you bind on earth is already bound in heaven. And whatever you loose, whatever you permit, on earth is already loosed in heaven. Again, I assure you, if two of you on earth agree about any matter that you pray for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there among them. Now, uh, Matt and I had this discussion a couple of weeks ago. It's like, Jesus has given these apostles and these disciples the power to, to bind and to loosen, to loose. How, how are they the ones, and it says, whatever's done here is done there. How are they the ones deciding what to permit and what to forbid? That's 
because the Spirit is working through them. And as they walk by the Spirit, they're listening and discerning. And they're loving. And they're permitting. And they're forbidding based upon what the Spirit is leading them to do. Verse 21, it says, Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how many times... Can, can I just remind you right here that this whole, this whole section, Jesus is just teaching about humility, about being honest with each other. Like, in here, being honest with each other, yet being very humble. And then Peter comes up to him and says, Lord, how many times could my brother sin against me and I forgive him? And then Peter's really, really trying to be humble. He's really trying to be humble because the Pharisees, the Pharisees taught him that you're not to forgive but like one time. And Peter throws out this number. As many as seven times, he's being very, very generous here. Am I supposed to forgive him seven times? And Jesus' response is, I tell you, not as many as seven Peter's probably like going, hey, i got a good number up there. Jesus said to him, but 70 times 7, and Peter's face just went. And people have literally taken this 490 number and believe that that's for real. 7 times 70. Jesus is just saying like, look, just keep forgiving. As many times as they make bad choices and as many times as they come to repentance, you keep forgiving. Peter, just keep forgiving. Mind you, Paul said, 1 Corinthians 13, love keeps no record of wrong. Jesus says, For this reason the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his slaves. He tells a parable here. When he began to settle accounts, the one who owed 10,000 talents was brought before him. And since he had no way to pay it back, his master commanded that he, his wife, his children, and everything he had be sold to pay the debt. At this time, the slave fell face down before him and said, Be patient with me. I will pay you everything. Then the master of that slave had compassion released him and forgave him the loan. He just said, be patient with me. I'll pay you everything. And the master said, you're debt free. I'll take care of it. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him, started choking him, and said, pay what you owe. The same guy that just was told you're debt free went to collect the debt. At this, his fellow slave fell down and began begging him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he wasn't willing. On the contrary, he went and threw him into prison until he could pay what was owed. When the other slaves saw what had taken place, they were deeply distressed and went and reported to their master everything that had happened. Then after he had summoned him, his master said to him, you wicked slave. I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have mercy on your fellow slave as I've had mercy on you? 
and his master got angry and handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything that was owed. So my heavenly Father will also do to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from his heart. That's pretty harsh. I think that Jesus is putting a, a little emphasis on forgiveness. Peter? Seven times? Nope. Seventy times seven? What about until the Spirit just tells you to stop forgiving? When's that going to happen? never going to happen. You need to forgive just as you've been forgiven. It's critical. It's critical to be able to separate identity from behavior. Jump in this last passage of scripture right here. John 7, 2-9. Says the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near. We've been talking about this this festival of booths for the last three weeks. This is the last festival of the seven. These seven festivals are a big deal as we walk through the gospels because they help us with our time. Matt is a professional at these feasts. We've, we've literally been talking about Matt coming up here and teaching about these different feasts because it's a significant part of the scripture. My prayer is that uh, he's going to be able to do that. And uh, it says, The Jewish festival of the tabernacles was near, so his brother said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, so your disciples can see your works that you're doing. For no one does anything in secret while he's seeking public recognition. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believe in it. <laughs> you hear what they're saying? Jesus, you need to go. It's the feast. You need to go to Jerusalem. You just need to do a little bit more. You need to talk a little bit more. You need to make yourself a little bit more public. Because, honestly, your brothers don't even believe that you're the Messiah. So you just need to keep proving yourself and you need to make your ministry a little bit bigger. Go out there and do it because what you're doing isn't good enough. It's really what they're saying. And I can honestly say, I can honestly say, oh wait, let me see what Jesus said. Jesus told him, my time has not yet arrived, but your time is always at hand. The world cannot hate you, but it does hate me because I testify about it that its deeds are evil. Go up to the festival yourselves. Y'all just go ahead. I'm not going up to the festival yet because my time has not yet fully come. After he said these things, he stayed in Galilee. Jesus knew, here's what he knew. He knew that the message the disciples would bring to the people was enough. You go take this message it's enough. I don't need to blow this thing wide open right now. It's not my time. Jesus didn't need to do any great miracle at this time. He didn't need to expose himself to the crowd. 
what he taught was enough. And honestly, here's what it comes down to is uh, when we started this thing back in 2007, I said to my my elders, uh, we're not going to market this. We're not going to promote this. I have a website for two reasons. <laughs> because I'm a 501c3 and the IRS requires me to have a website. <laughs> and the other thing is, is so I can put my notes and the messages on here so you'll dig deeper into what we're studying. That's it. May communicate some things on there, you know, like holiday world and whatever. But that's it. I get all the Google things, hey, promote your website, promote this, grow bigger, da-da-da-da-da, you can get fun. I'm not into marketing this. I'm not in marketing lever. I don't, I don't need anything. I don't need posters out there. We don't need to say, have big banners waving out there. We don't need, we don't need any of that stuff. And here's why. Because I believe that's enough. Amen. I believe that's enough. Hope the only reason that you're here is because we're going to teach from the Word of God. And it's what Jesus is saying. It's enough, guys. It's enough. Just you go. I don't need to do this thing right now. I don't need to like blow this thing up. There's enough truth out there. They're going to decide if they want it or if they don't want it. Father, I pray that as we continue to dig through your word that this whole humble honesty thing just flows through this group right here. That we can be transparent and that we can be loving and that we can even be more forgiving. Father, help us to forgive one another. Help us to love one another in this group right here. So that is without a shadow of a doubt that we're your followers. And I believe that's enough. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.